Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Aggieville Alley Cats Podcast. Look, I'm rain, shine, or anything in between. We're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news you so love. I'm Ace Edwards, right alongside Connor Balthazor. And welcome to this week's weekly recap, which will actually probably be a uh, moderately shorter one. You know, every time we make that promise, it's uh, not. So. Most nine out of 10 times we say that, it still ends up being close to an hour. Yeah. So. Uh, we'll we'll dive straight into it anyway. We got a little bit of football recruiting and then the back cats and the wacky segment of the week. So let's just go ahead and dive straight into football recruiting and the brand new member of the Kansas State Beef family, the offensive line recruit from Iowa, I believe West Des Moines specifically, Kyle Rakers, the three-star commits to the Cats, joining Gus Hawkins and Will Howard's quote-unquote little brother ryan howard and i well first off connor what what are you what are your thoughts on on kyle rakers the three-star offensive lineman from iowa um i really like him um he's some he's a person that the staff has been on for a while it seems like this cycle more than maybe any in the past um we have been getting our top targets um across the offensive line uh and we're getting them early um and i think a lot of that has to do probably with connor riley really nailing down the guys that he wants but because we already have gus hawkins uh for offensive tackle we have ryan howard he's probably gonna be a guard i think he'll be a massive guard but i think it'll i think he'll be a guard regardless yeah I actually didn't mean to make that a pun. <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, but then Kyle Rakers, um, he's an interior offensive lineman. Um, his film says he's probably going to be a good center. And uh, I I'm, I think that tracks. Um, but he also has plenty of Power 5 offers. Um, nine, I believe. Boston College, Illinois, Iowa State, KU, Michigan State, Mizzou, Nebraska, Oklahoma State, Purdue. Um and yeah, that that's it for his power five offers. Um, but he was clearly sought after. Um, I, he's got a good frame. He's six foot four, um, already two eighty one at this point in time. Uh, he's he's got good film too. He's got really good of vision um, in the open field. Um, he's really good at transitioning from an early block uh, on a run play to getting downfield to the second level and sealing off another guy. Uh, he uh, has a very active part of his game. And there, there's a lot to like about him, I think. And I think we're probably only, only going to see him grow, of course, um, literally and figuratively, um, especially because I I just do really, really trust Connor Riley uh, with the offensive line. I, I, th- I think as far as coaches on staff go, he's probably maybe the assistant, the pure assistant that I'm most confident in. Um, I, he, he does a fantastic job with the line year in, year out. The development of KT Leviston has been unbelievable uh, since he got here. Cause I mean, he took KT from someone that was an active liability at tackle to getting a few NFL looks and he's back and going to try and continue to do that. So Rakers, at minimum, 
just trust the process with him because Connor Riley knows what he's doing. Um, but his film's still good. And he plays uh, with a uh, decent competition. He's on a good team. Uh, I'm really excited to see um, what he brings uh, to the table when he gets here because we, we've already got a pretty sizable offensive line class. Half of our 24 commits are offensive linemen. Yep, that's true. The thing that I, I agree with you about the, the vision point because he really does have that excellent second-level vision when he's going to collect blocks. The, the thing that sticks out most to me, though, there are two things. Firstly, his mentality and then his his just not not winning dominantly, but just not losing to, to start with the, the first one, because I feel like it's the easiest to explain every single line on or, or every single decent line, whether it be in high school or college, has that one guy who's literally just an a-hole like he's he's his entire purpose is to basically be a mauler and be a boxer while blocking and i i both mean that in the the literal and figurative sense to where he's there to take punches and also deliver his fair share of gut punches that's kyle rakers to a t like he is the definition of does not stop until the whistle is blown he will block people 10 yards downfield and then search for the pancake the, the problem is, while he does that, he does get a little grabby, and that sort of leads to the second part of it, is that he doesn't win instantly and win dominantly. He just doesn't lose. And I feel like that's that's an admirable trait, if not a very flashy one, because a big part of offensive line is, well, you don't have to win every rep. You just have to not catastrophically fail. And there aren't many reps of him doing that. He just has reps where he's consistent. He's going to be that mauler, that bully when it comes to the run blocking game. And he's not going to lose you anything on those reps, which, you know, projecting him as an interior offensive lineman, that's that's almost exactly what you want. So, yeah, I I really like Kyle Rakers is not. He's not the exceedingly rare frat flashy lineman. And there's a reason for that. It's because they're like, in any given class, they're like two of those. And I, I'm sorry, K-State's not going to be in the running for those guys. But, you know, he's still good. I still really like Kyle Rakers in his film, and I think he's going to be a good fit here. Yeah, there, there's really, there's not a lot of major downsides with him. Uh, he's just a very well-rounded prospect. And adds to an already really stacked offensive line class that has the potential to get even better. Uh, Cause yeah, of course, Ryan Howard, he's huge. And uh, Gus Hawkins, uh, he was in his first year of offensive line last year and anchored a line to a, a state championship. And according to a source, him on Twitter, he is up to 285 pounds at this point. So he's already putting on weight. Uh, if you can, sniff 300 by the time he's reaching campus that's going to be awesome for us and rakers is somebody i imagine will do the same the three of those guys uh hawkins howard and rakers they've all been interacting online a lot they've been interacting with guys at k-state's recruiting heavily like kate massey and grant bricks and they're making it clear that they're they're going to be a connected unit 
that's one of the most important things you can have in an offensive line is cohesion and connection. So that's pretty much all I have to say about Kyle Rakers. So welcome to the family, Kyle, and welcome another member of the Kansas State Beef Squad, which I, I'm not going to call it the Beef Squad anymore. I'm just going to call it Kansas State Beef Beef Squad. Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Anyway, moving on to a little bit of a basketball announcement because Catskipal actually recently announced another one of their non-conference games, which uh, full disclosure, I didn't have on the outline because I might be stupid, but it is Kansas State University, the Fighting Wildcats, up against the University of Southern California, USC, in Las Vegas. And this is a, a big game for, for several reasons. Uh, first off, it's in Vegas. And I'm not sure if I remember any other times that K-State has played in Vegas for basketball specifically. Connor. Last there that has happened before. Um, it has been a while. Um, I'm trying to think about it uh, right now. I believe it would might have been in 2007 when we had Beasley. And I think we actually played USC and in that I, I I think we might just have played USC. Um, I'm checking the schedule right now, but I I am feeling fairly confident that we played somebody in Vegas at that point. It yeah. may have been a year before or a year after, but it, it was uh, 2006 uh, when we played this game. We played USC in the Las Vegas Holiday Classic. And one by thirteen, uh, so uh, we have played USC in Vegas before, but it has been a while. Yeah, interesting. Well, another big storyline is this is where LeBron James's son has committed to play, so we'll get to see uh, Bronny James in. It's Bronny, right? Yes. Okay. All right. Yeah. It's we get to see him play in his uh, among his first batches of college basketball action. So I, I think this is a it's a big game not only for you know the team get out of get out of the home court early in the season get a decent non con game against someone who at least at least a team that has star power by virtue of having one person <laughs> but just it's a good game to get your name out there as well you know it's going to be in Vegas so I imagine there will be a number of K State fans who who take a trip down to Vegas engage in you know, debauchery that is Vegas itself and then watch the cats play. So, you know, it's a, it's another piece of the non-conference schedule that is looking to be considerably better than the non-conference schedule than we had this last year. I'm not saying that's particularly difficult, but USC is going to be a really good team. Um, They're going to be young, uh, especially their, high level talent is going to be young, but they have Brownie James and they also have, um, at least as far as 24 seven goes, the number one player, uh, in these, uh, in the 2023 recruiting class, uh, point guard, Isaiah Collier. And, uh, then they also have another very highly regarded four star, uh, Arrington page, um, at center. He's the 47th ranked nationally rec- national recruit. They ended up USC did with on 24, seven, the eighth ranked class in composite. So there's a lot of young talent in this. And it's going to be the first game that actually counts. Um, 
uh, for your, both teams, I believe. I, I think this will be the first actual game. There will be an exhibition, maybe two, for both teams. But I think that um, it'll be the first regulation, like actually counts on your record game. And so it's going to be Bronnie James's first game. It's going to be Tyler Perry's first game for K-State. LeBron James will probably be there because yeah, it's be Bronnie's there. first game, assuming that he doesn't have a game that night. Um, but yeah, it, it's going to be a, a huge game. The only thing that dampens it is that Monday night football is going on at the same time. So mm. uh, that'll probably dampen it a bit. But regardless, it's a really big opportunity for K-State early in the year. Um, with an already jam-packed uh, non-conference slate. Yeah. So that that's pretty much all we had to say on the that scheduling note for men's basketball. Look forward to the preview episode in four months. I, <laughs> probably five. But now that we've gone over the first two little bits, and before we get into the Batcats, here's a quick word from today's sponsor. And we are back to discuss the Batcats. And I'm going to try my best not to rant because that was we, we've all had we've all had time to think about and digest what happened towards the basically the last week of the Batcats season. Uh, for the uninitiated, they were eliminated in the Big 12 tournament by TCU. Second game was closer than the first time they played them. Not that that's, you know, but <laughs> <laughs> the they did make it to the semifinal game. They ended up knocking out Texas and KU, that being K-State, I should say. But unfortunately came up short to the eventual Big 12 champions in the tournament, TCU. But I, I'm not, everyone already knows what happened there. So I'm not too concerned about, about that. We, we kind of have to address the elephant in the room here, and that is what happened to K-State in the NCAA tournament, and that they did not receive an invite to the NCAA tournament because reasons. The Okay, before I end up talking and inevitably ranting, do you have any initial thoughts or a more concrete less abstract thing to say about the cats getting left out like um, your instant reaction to it my instant reaction was unfortunately i was not surprised but i was still disappointed regardless because i was still hoping but once tulane won the aac i had a very bad feeling about it but you you go ahead first yeah so this was an example of just about everything not falling K-State's way. They needed Xavier to lose. Xavier ends up winning their conference. They needed a 19 a previously 18 and 40 Tulane school to not beat the to not win the American Conference. That ended up not happening. They needed to advance just a little bit further in the Big 12 tournament. That ended up not happening. So a lot of things just didn't fall their way. And I've seen a lot of people talk about what Pete Hughes needs to have a more difficult schedule, which I, I can't, I do agree with to a little bit. I do agree that to get the RPI up, you need to start scheduling uh, harder schools. That being said, my sticking point 
is not only that K-State didn't get in. It's the one school that got in ahead of them that upsets me the most. Because Oklahoma, a team that K-State swept, had a better conference record than and advanced farther in the, NC- in the uh, Big 12 tournament than got in ahead of them. And there was a large part of me that was tempted to send out a tweet as like, well, I guess the Batcats need to lose more games next year in order to get into the NCAA tournament. I, I, I know that's not why. Oklahoma technically had a slightly better RPI. I don't care. The number one thing that I think should be evaluated in the case of two, cl- two schools being very close together is their head-to-head matchups. K-State swept Oklahoma, and Oklahoma didn't advance very far. I don't think they advanced at all in the Big 12 tournament. There's no universe where Oklahoma should have been the pick over K-State in that specific situation. And there have been a lot of players who expressed angst over that. You know, you had Roberto Pena, you had Cole Johnson, and then a lot of other people, you know, implicitly sort of saying that or, uh, you know, retweeting tweets showing frustration. And I understand. Because I truly believe that K-State got screwed. There's no reason why Oklahoma should have gotten in ahead of them, especially if you're looking at head-to-head series. And I think that's what hurts the most, is that almost everyone, almost everyone that does serious college baseball analysis says, oh, Oklahoma, you know, they got in because of RPI, but K-State's the better team. That shouldn't be happening. There, there shouldn't be a near consensus of people who look at the RPI rankings, look at it and go, okay, well, one team's one team is higher, but the other team is better. Like that shouldn't be happening. And it shouldn't be happening when a season is on the line for a postseason berth. Because what you've done is you've essentially said, hmm, this is based off of vibes. Whose season am I killing based off of vibes today? That's, to me, what RPI has sort of become. And that's why I like RPI Plus more as a measurement. I think the difference between K-State and Oklahoma and RPI Plus was like two as opposed to five in normal RPI. But It was a bit more stark than that in a normal RPI. OU was up at 40 and K-State was down at 55. I just... The, the, the head-to-head matchup there, I really think, should have been considered more. And again, the the argument will be Pete Hughes needs to schedule harder schools, which I agree with. Like we can't we can't be playing Stonehill, or we can't be playing um, oh, Saint, Saint Thomas. Thomas. We can't be playing them. Like I, you need to have more times like that tournament in the Round Rock Classic where. Yes, you lost all three games, but, you know, two of them were competitive up until the very end. You can't have you can't have such low RPI games for your non-conference schedule. You can't do it. Not anymore in the age of RPI playing such a big role in who ends up getting to play for a, for a spot in Omaha. This is considerably calmer than I was because Connor can attest that that it is – not an exaggeration to say that this was by far the angriest I had ever been at any K-State athletics happening. And I am including the Tulane loss. I am including the Elite Eight loss this year. I'm including everything that I've seen as a K-State fan in my admittedly somewhat short time of it. This was what upset me the most. 
because there's no universe where this team that has Kalen Culpepper, Nick Goodwin, Tyson Neighbors, Owen Borma, Rafael Pelletier, and player like role players like Brendan Jones and Cash Rugely, there's no reason why this team with that roster construction shouldn't be in the tournament. And I don't mean that as in like like a coaching point. I mean that as in that roster is talented enough and showed it to where they should have been an NCAA tournament team. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I'll get into my thoughts now on it. And I, I've been wrangling with this a lot because I think there's a lot of validity on either side of the argument. Um, first thing I'll say though, is I did see a lot of people saying the statement that P Hughes put out was embarrassing. Um, I do think I'm pretty sure I saw Scott Wildcat talk about this, um, that in all likelihood, it's more of a move to show the players that you're behind them and like you support them and you think they should have been in because the alternative is to tell your players that sucks to suck. You don't deserve (laughs) to be in. (laughs) And I don't think that'd work very well. So I, I'm not too upset by the statement that was put out. I do think there's truth to it. Um, in because I, many um, uh, college baseball writers um, were actually agreeing with the statement and saying the RPI was initially meant to compare teams that didn't have head-to-head results against each other and uh, wouldn't be playing similar teams. But Oklahoma and K-State they uh they they played similar yeah, teams. They they played similar <laughs> they played themselves and they played uh similar teams. Cuz I mean obviously K-State swept OU. We all know that at this point. Um funnily enough they also played Wichita State and they also dropped two to Wichita State. Um point in their favor, they did take the series against TCU where we only got one game. Um but they also dropped a series to Baylor uh, on the road. Um, but then they dropped a series to Tech at home while we took that series against Tech. And the big point in their favor is probably that they swept Texas on the road. Um, but again, they had the same result against West Virginia that we did. And they also dropped a game to KU, two to eight. And I... Basically, what I'm trying to say here is I think K-State and Oklahoma, as far as team quality go, are not far off. And I know that when we swept Oklahoma, that they were in a bit of a bad spot as a team. Um, Those three losses made up a six-game losing streak uh, for OU. They, They were in a bad place when we played them. But at the same time, it it doesn't really matter that much because, I mean, you play the team when they're scheduled. Now, I will say, K-State missing the tournament for strength of schedule reasons was avoidable, uh, at least to a certain degree. Um, Part of that is we almost beat Iowa, and we just couldn't finish it off. Um, Another part of it is we actually kind of hung around with LSU for a surprising amount of time. Uh, so again, that's another one. You gotta be able to finish that off. 
Uh, you can't lose to Sam Houston State. You can't lose at Omaha, RPI 266. You can't lose at Lamar, RPI 126. You can't lose um, the series to Baylor. You can't lose to RPI 293 in St. Thomas. That's, I think, in the bottom 20 mm-hmm. in the country. Um, you can't drop a game to Air Force, even though that game was really weird. You can't drop that game. Um Basically, what I'm getting at here is there's. I, I do think K State, like many of the baseball writers said, is probably on a baseball field a better team than Oklahoma. And if you're going off that alone, then they should have been in the tournament over Oklahoma. But K State probably gave the committee too many easy excuses to just rely on RPI and not give K State the benefit of the doubt because. K-State did drop many games that it should have won. And it had opportunities late in the season to really make a statement. And it just couldn't quite get over that hump. They were so close to getting over the hump there at the end of the year. And they just couldn't quite do it. They were always like a half step away from doing it. Like if we win that last game against TCU in that series at home, that maybe changes things. If we, Find a way to hold on against Oklahoma State. That might change things. If we win at least one game against Wichita State, that helps so much. Uh, If we beat TCU in that second Big 12 tournament game and get one more tournament win, that helps a lot too. We had plenty of opportunities to really separate ourselves and distinguish ourselves. I still think it's inexcusable to put OU in over us because, again, we played them, we swept them, we had a better overall record than OU did. We had a better conference record than OU did. And our quadrant records were almost identical for quad one. Uh, we actually had one more quad one game than OU did. We went 12 and 14 against quad one. OU went 12 and 13 against quad one. But the big difference was non-conference strength of schedule. OU was 22nd. We were 150th. Overall strength of schedule, they were 15th, we were 51st. And should that matter? Maybe not, especially when there's head-to-head evidence of which team is obviously better. But the committee's stupid, and we have to assume that when we're scheduling. <laughs> which, like, even if P is right, and I think to a certain extent he he might be, we have to schedule not with what we think should be the case, but with what is the case. I mean, if you watch the selection show, they spent probably 10 to 15 minutes talking about how the hosts of the show and the committee chair, they were just sitting there thinking, talking about how they think RPI is horrible and they think it does, it's not an accurate representation of um, the quality of a baseball team. They just sat there talking about that for a while and then they used it anyways. That's enough evidence to assume the committee's not intelligent, yeah. right? Like, or yeah, the very... That is, or, your honor, at, this is empirical evidence. <laughs> yeah. At minimum, we can assume from that that the committee is lazy. Like, I, they may not be stupid, but I don't think anybody was like chomping at the bit to decide the baseball tournament, at least based off what we saw. But I do think there's probably some inherent SEC bias in there, even though they are really good teams i still think that they have an sec slant 
a generally Southern school and California schools and Texas school slants. Um, Cause that's just where the players have always been. And they don't give much benefit of the doubt to anyone else. But at the end of the day, I know Pete, something you talked about was regionalized scheduling. And that's a totally fair point. Like teams in the South are just going to have access to so much good competition. We saw SEC teams dropping like flies in midweek games. We saw Tennessee lose to like East Tennessee State. Like that should never happen on planet Earth. (laughs) But like like, that's that's their equivalent. That was their equivalent to losing to St. Thomas, honestly. Like granted, much different. But I mean, they were like RPI top five, I think, when that happened. And but at the end of the day, they still get a stronger strength of schedule from doing that because they have access to better teams that are nearby them, that is, that are easier to schedule. And because all those teams have great traditions, it's easier to schedule both power five schools that need to strengthen their resume and also um, small schools that want to prove something. But in K-State's case, we don't have a rich tradition for baseball. So it's, I mean, we're never going to get a non-conference series against an SEC school unless it's like in April. Like that that would be our best shot. It had to be a weekend and they may not even want to do a uh, return uh, return series. Uh, I mean, like we got lucky with even UC Irvine and which granted UC Irvine, they were one of the other first four out uh, in the tournament. Yeah. But Oklahoma getting in over us, that rubs me the wrong way. I would have been fine with not making it if OU didn't make it, honestly. I would have been fine with us making it and OU making it. But OU making it and us not making it, it just does not sit right with me. But the committee has made a very, very clear message to K-State, and that is schedule more difficult teams. And he is going to grind and find a way to do that. Part of it's going to be hoping that next year our local teams are better because Omaha was, I mean, we lost to them, but their RPI 266 would be Creighton twice, but their RPI 129. And I guess there's like KU, but we don't schedule them. They just sucked. And then uh, you have to hope Nebraska bounces back next year. And also that we beat them. Um, And you have to get Iowa on the schedule again, but they're probably not going to do it. Yeah. Um, Iowa would be great. But again, it's going to be one of those things. You're going to have to find your way into one of those tournaments down south, and you're going to have to actually pick up a game. You have to win one. The last two years, we have not won any of those games, but we've come close in a few of them. But we've not been able to turn the corner there. Yeah, you're still going to schedule cupcakes and buy games and stuff like that. Like, sure, maybe starting off the season with the four-game series against Stephen F. Austin, super fun because you kind of get to beat up on a team that doesn't know what they're doing. Uh, and sometimes your player gets ejected. <laughs> yeah. So, but, but you still have to schedule quality schools, but I still don't think it's unreasonable for K-State to feel like they got screwed by the committee because at the end of the day, OU getting in over you when you sweep them, that's a hard pill to swallow if you're K-State, but the message has been sent, schedule tougher teams. And if we do that in the future, we had like even a slightly better non-con strength of schedule if we beat probably one of LSU or Iowa or pick up one game against TCU 
that might turn the tables. And if we don't drop as many games to our sub RPI 100 teams, um, then we probably are in. But we just barely missed, kind of like in 2021. We were that close, but we just have to schedule better. I think we basically we we've covered all of that. So there, there's one question that remains, and to me that question is: Are we still are are you still happy with how the season went as as a holistic product? Say say the NCAA tournament just doesn't exist. Throw that away out of your mind right now. Would you be satisfied with this team? from a performance or growth perspective? I think that's the the question. Um, I would say at least somewhat, because I do think they exceeded both of our expectations. They did. Um, I, I, I think that we expected this to be a bit of a rough year, but we ended up uh, finishing fifth in the Big 12. At one point, we were like half a game out of first and like late March or it was April. Like, yeah. I didn't think that was going to happen. Nope. But again, you have a rough finish that leaves a nasty taste in the mouth. And then also, you've got a lot of guys to replace, um, which again, that's looking forward a bit much. But in the vacuum of this season, assuming the tournament doesn't exist, uh, then yeah, you're, you probably have to come away feeling like you did all right. And you, you made, you took a step. Uh, this year, because uh, this is the closest K State's been to postseason play in the NCAA tournament in a decade, and but now you're you have the tall task of you have a lot of pitching to replace uh, with Owen Borma leaving, uh, running out of eligibility. I should say you've got to find some um, more relievers. Clearly, we need a deeper bullpen. Granted, I think every team in college baseball would want a deeper bullpen at this point. Um, but yeah, just so, so close. Um, but with the context of the NCAA tournament, it does leave a, a bad taste just because knowing that you were that close and could have made it despite the strength of schedule. Um, but if you just avoid one or two of those bad losses, then maybe things change, but I don't know. I think, excuse me, I think I am walking away from this baseball season pleasantly surprised, but far from satisfied is how I would describe it. Because while this team, we we were right from the very beginning that no matter how this team performed, it was going to be a fun team. And there were very, very few times that I could say this team was not at least fun. And, you know, that, that was sort of our expectations coming into the year. So in a way, they, they met our expectations. So you think that that would, would be, make us satisfied with it. You know, you, they, they did what you said they would. And what you said they would do was at least somewhat good. So you're, you're satisfied with the season, right? And the, the answer to me is not quite because the talent on this roster should have been or should have given us more games. 
I, and even completely disregarding whether or not Jackson Wentworth is, you know, still hurt, still trying to recover from Tommy John surgery, completely disregarding that for a minute. The starting rotation should have at this point more than one consistent guy. We didn't have, like, we would switch day three starters on a month by month basis. And which Herman? It was week to week at one point. It was a week to week at one point. Uh, And Herman Fajardo, which Herman you're getting varies on a start to start basis. The yeah, only are you, are, you, are you getting Oklahoma State Herman or are you getting Big Twelve tournament Herman like yeah. all Big Twelve tournament team Herman? Yeah, because yeah, and the only consistent part of our starting rotation was Owen Borama, and Owen Borama was great; he was awesome. But you need to develop; like, you can't have your day three starter be a revolving door. You can't have your day three starter be Jackson Wentworth to start off the year. Then you move into oh, who was next? Mason Bus. Bus for a while, uh, then back to Jack, and then it was Rothermel, then it was, was Bus again, then it and was then it was Ty Rule. And then it was Ty Rule towards the very end of the seat. Like, you can't do that. It, not only is it not good that you you don't have the confidence of that day three guy, you, you don't allow a day three guy to get comfortable. Because a lot of pitching is routine. That's what there's aces are good pitchers because, you know, they have good stuff, but also because they're able to get into a routine. They know every fifth day or every third game on a week or every like first game on a weekend is like, okay, that's my day. That's my day that I go out and I pitch. That's why a lot of ace starters suck as relievers because they're, they're out of routine. They're out of rhythm. And whenever you throw off someone's rhythm like that by constantly subbing them in and out of a rotation, it's so remarkably difficult for them to get into any sort of rhythm and know what to expect from themselves on a week to week basis. And I know that like the counter argument to that was, well, the, the day three starters just weren't working. Yeah. That Mason bus was arguably the most consistent of them, but he just wasn't getting run support. And then Ty rule came out of nowhere towards the back end for his last two starts. But like, but who's the rotation going to be next year? You're Herman. banking. Yeah, you're banking on Herman becoming truly a consistent guy. You're banking on finding another diamond in the rough transfer like Owen Borma from D3. You're banking on Jackson Wentworth fully recovering uh, from his injury, which I think that's probably why we didn't see him uh, at the end of the year. I don't know if that's the case, but I think it's it makes sense that that would be the case to me. And then you're relying on other guys like younger guys like like Andrew Evans, uh, who we saw pitch just a little bit this year. You're relying on Colin Rothermel to um, develop more pitches and uh, you're relying on somebody else to step up and really become a consistent piece. You're probably going to be asking a freshman to be able to give you a few innings here and there. You're going to have to portal really, really hard this offseason because we graduated a lot. We had a pretty big senior class this year. So you there, there's a lot riding on this offseason, this portal season in K-State baseball, being able to take this anger and frustration that we have with the um, into the tournament and the committee and 
make that into something productive. And that's going to be changing that from anger to drive and hitting the recruiting trail hard, going after portal guys, ASAP, developing pitchers. We, we have to be able to get consistent pitching. I know that's a tough ask at the college level, but there's not an alternative, unfortunately. Like if we want to take that next step, we're in a batter-friendly ballpark, and if the bats aren't going to be on constantly, which they haven't been ever, and they probably won't be ever, then you're going to have to get some really, really, really good pitchers. We we got to bring back Jordan Wicks, unfortunately. Yeah, but we, we got to get a, a big lefty. Yeah, yeah, that we do. Uh, Weisenbaker? Weisenbaker taking a step would be awesome. Tyrule sticking around would be great because I, I think he's only redshirt sophomore. But, you know, like, uh, if he can continue to actually be a pretty quality starter, then, yeah, we, we we need him to stick around. We need Tyson Neighbors to continue to be dominant. Just keep doing Tyson Neighbors stuff, Tyson. You're you're fine, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> like, like the, the point that I'm trying to make is the with the the best analogy that I can come up with with this team is it had all the instruments and it had every note that it needed to hit, but it just couldn't manage to make it sound good together. They had the pieces. They had the talent. They had the senior leadership. They had people like Cole Johnson, like Cash Rougely, like Nick Goodwin, who's not a senior, but he's gone. Uh, <laughs> he gone. Um, and then you had Owen Borama leading the rotation. Like you needed like – there, there are window years for a reason, especially in college baseball if you're not among the consistent elites. There are window years, and this was one of K-State's window years unless we find some way to reload in the portal. And I'm disappointed that it it seems like we didn't capitalize fully on what I think was an amazing window year for us. And that's sort of where I'm at because, yeah, they met my expectation of being a fun team to watch on uh, a game-by-game basis with rare exception. But they should have been more. And I only realized that about halfway through the season. And that's what hurts the most is the failure to meet what you should have been. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a, um, an apt way to put it, but yeah, it's all going to come down to can the young guys that we didn't see very much, are they going to step up and really be, end up being quality? Uh, Cause you know, that's not a, necessarily set in stone thing uh, we don't we don't know if people are gonna really step up like i think we're both excited about carson quack uh, next year is he gonna be ready to be a starter because he's he, gonna have to be yeah he unless we go in portal and get someone better than him like a dom johnson uh that we had last year um it's gonna be hard but honestly he might start regardless like like he, if we get one Dom Johnson, we'll probably still need him in the other corner outfield because Brendan's going to hold down center field just fine. But development of guys like Kyan Lotus, uh, guys like Carson Quick, uh, a Cole Weisenbaker, a Mason Buss, some of those younger guys that really stepped up to to be big in some situations, especially a guy like Lotus. 
who kind of came out of nowhere after being a red shirt. Um, we need those guys to really develop and uh, hold their own weight and um, really help take us to the next level. Uh, we need a guy like, I don't know, Blake Corsentino. He's listed as a junior. I don't know if he's coming back. I hope he is. But we need him to be a quality reliever, and which down the stretch this year, he was. We need him to continue to be that and be able to give us two, three innings um, at times. Yeah. I I I will say to, to end this on a on a very on a on a positive note, Rudy Darrow surprised me as a pitching coach. I think he did remarkably well with what he was given. Uh, obviously there are still growing pains, which was kind of expected, but I think Rudy Darrow did well. And I think Austin waits as a hitting coach, and it's not just because of his name. Uh, I think he did <laughs> I think he did an awesome job as always. Like he if I do think that a significant part of this team's success does come down to the pitching and hitting coaches being good at their jobs. Uh, Rudy Darrow obviously still probably needs to refine what style he really wants pitchers to go for. And maybe that'll come with recruiting people for that style with time. Cause I think the style he wants is a Mason bus type of, you know, he's not going to get double digit strikeouts. He may not even get five strikeouts in an outing. What he's going to do is he's going to induce soft contact and force you to swing at borderline pitches. I think that's what Rudy Darrow wants. So give him a little bit of time to recruit for that. And Austin Waits is just good. He's a good hitting coach. <laughs> yeah. And I think he did a good job adjusting this year um, to what we had because we had fewer true power guys in the lineup like we had the prior two years. So he adjusted. Um, from really focusing on making hard contact to being able to get better at our plate discipline and our plate vision. And we ended up being top 10 in the country in walks. So uh, we uh, he, he did a great job there as well, helping change our batting approach. And uh, But hopefully next year, we're going to be able to get some more power hitters in because we are in a uh, hitter's ballpark. We need to be able to take advantage of that. And we also need pitchers that are able to work with that too. Yep. I, I think that's pretty much all we have to say on the Batcats. We've, we've talked about it for a significant amount of time now. So now we can get into the lighthearted part of the show. And that is the wacky segment of the week. And this week's question is if Gene Taylor became a billionaire overnight, what is the first athletics project that he would do? Um, I have a very obvious answer because he keeps deferring one and two things in particular based off of money. <laughs> I, I think the obvious answer, like when money's not an object, is probably demoing Bramilage, like or the very least significant renovations. And I at least to me, because that was on the original um facilities master plan. Um, there's an $80 million price tag right next to Bramlage and on the original graphic. I think people forget about that, but we're getting a little break, uh, from, uh, projects probably because they ended up being more expensive than we anticipated because things kind of changed between when we announced and when they actually happened, but something happened there. I don't remember what it was. I don't either. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I, I think that Gene Taylor would probably look at Bramlage. Um, maybe start a new sports team, but I, I, I think that 
Bramlage, at least in my mind, maybe it's just me saying what I think as opposed to what Gene would do, would either significantly renovate Bramlage or build a new arena somewhere in the sports complex. Yeah. I I think the first thing you'd do is he would fund a wrestling team. First off, that would even out the number of men and women's sports because women's sports has actually one more than a one more than men's sports with K-State, uh, specifically because of rowing. But actually, I think the, the soccer team came after the rowing team, so it's the soccer team. But yeah. I, I think that he's prob- he'd probably the first thing he'd do is just hire a wrestling coach and start a wrestling team. If it's not a wrestling team, he'd almost certainly start a softball team. Because And the only reason I think these are the first things that he would do is because I think that he wants nothing more than people to shut up about both of those things. <laughs> because every t- he's e- for three or four years at this point, it's like, when are we getting a wrestling team? When are we getting a softball team? When we have the money. We don't at repeat money. <laughs> every month for the past four years. I will say, I think there's probably one thing that gets on his nerves more, and it's uh, um, re-entry slash no re-entry. <laughs> and I think he would p- just pay the fan base like $50 million, like spread out over everybody to just not talk about it. <laughs> I think that's what he would do. Hush money. Uh, yeah, I, I think he would and just be all like one big open secret. <laughs> uh, either that or he would just like front the money for because I know that they're like concerned, I think about financials with like um, selling alcohol in the stadium and like potential like insurance that you'd have to get for that. And uh, maybe he just front the money. So that way, like the difference is split and it's like not a loss for K-State and just get rid of reentry. Which I know reentry is a controversial topic among the fan base. We're not going to dissect that today. Not, not today. Another time. Maybe. Maybe someday. Maybe someday. But yeah, that pretty much wraps up this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. Thank you all so much for listening. If you want to follow or contact the show, you can follow us on Twitter or Instagram at Aggieville Cats. That's capital A, capital A, and capital C in cats. If you want to email us, we are AggievilleAlleyCats at gmail.com. If you want to follow us on a more personal note, I am at acedward 0 I'm at Connor Bounces or capital C, capital B. And if you want to support the show financially, please be sure to check out the official Aggieville Alley Cats merch store, where you can find such designs as the staff-approved Doom Tang Clan, Play Sandstorm Cowards, and Base Alley Cats. (laughs) For all of your merch needs, there's a joke there. We'll tell it another time. But for now, thank you all for listening to this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast, where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news you so love. Stay safe, Alley Cats.